Welcome to Passion. For more information about Passion, please visit us online at www.passionchurch.tv. Now let's join the service already in progress. We believe in the overthrowing of darkness in high places over our country. Lifting a banner of truth and love, opening eyes, giving sight to the blind, the miraculous. We've been given power and authority to overcome hate with love, fear with faith, depression with hope. The Prince of Peace, the Lord of Hosts, the Alpha and Omega stands at the gates of our city, calling out for the children to arise and possess their rightful place as sons and daughters of the Most High. We are not one, we are many. We are not weak, we are strong. We are not afraid, we are bold. Knowing His voice, standing in His purpose, giving our hearts and minds to answer His call, to proclaim His freedom, to announce His victory, to proclaim His glory to a world sick with immorality, poisoned with lies, confused, hurting, beaten, broken. We hold the keys to unlocking their prisons. United in love, we will shout down the walls of division. Hear the trumpets of mercy blow. A sound of many rushing waters flow as the marching of feet as into the ends of the earth we go as ambassadors of the king of kings we declare this is our city this is our nation we are the children of god his hands and his feet his heart and its beat jehovah our leader we are his bride as he races to meet her we speak a message of greater hope and faith Seek and knock on the doors and the gates. Believe what you ask for, the Lord is not fake. He will pour out his riches for his own name's sake. This is the quest, this is the call. Some of us might die now, some of us might fall. But fear of failure will never stop us from giving our all. Awake, all oh, you giants, you lions, you lambs. Now is the time, the moment at hand. Glory unveiled as we take back our land. Dear sweet America, no longer will you slumber. Being seduced by the lies of an unfaithful lover. You'll rise to your purpose, your queen, your mother. For now is the time to be a light to your sisters and brothers. Our city, our inheritance. I am trying, I have been trying for the last three weeks to get you to view where you live differently. I need you to come to grips with the fact that our city is our inheritance. It's not just this place you chose to live. It's not this place you just chose to work. It's not this place you were born into just because some cosmic thing took place and you ended up here. No, God has strategically, catch this, He has strategically, He has handpicked, selected you to live in the neighborhood that you live in to bring about an inheritance and, and to, to secure a harvest for the kingdom. Boy, I didn't get one amen there. Y'all sleep this morning. Wake up. That is a different mentality. You didn't just pick the house you picked just because you liked the kitchen. You thought you picked it for that, but behind the scenes, unaware to you maybe, God was working. He was orchestrating it. He was letting the loans come through. He was letting the paint be the right color, the, the carpet be the right grade so that you would fall in love with that place so that he could hand select you and pick you and place you and position you to reach the people around you. That is a different mentality. 
You didn't just get it because it was the right price. You got it because God wanted you there. We have got to see our city differently. We've got to understand that God has placed us here, in fact, to change our city. So we've been talking. I, I challenged you a couple of weeks ago that out of the passage of Scripture, and we're going to read it again, that deals with the cities of refuge, that God has placed us here and wants us to become prominent. In fact, I just want to say something to you that I might not have ever said to you before, or maybe I have, I don't remember. But I just want you to know, please quit telling me that we're the best-kept secret in Oklahoma City. That is not a compliment. In fact, I'm sick of being told that. Because what I believe that God is saying to us is that we're not supposed to be a secret, and if you're not telling anybody so that we are a secret, then we've got a problem because we are supposed to be positioned prominently so that people know we're here and know who we serve and know what we're about and know that they can run to us when they are in times of need. So therefore, we must become prominent in this place, prominent in this city, prominent in your life. Not only must we be prominent, we must be prepared. I believe that God is getting ready. As We've already seen some signs of this, but I believe it's going to pick up pace that we are going to be overrun by people in need, not just financial need, not just people in emotional need, not people just in relational and spiritual need. They're going to have all kinds of need. They may come with all of those needs wrapped up in one, and we have to be prepared for them. If we're not prepared for them and they show up, then we're late for work and it takes us too long to get ready and they will exit before we can ever meet their need. See, I, I just think there's a shift taking place. You've got to understand what kind of church we are. I want people to come to our church, and I love it when people stay at our church, but I also recognize that God has, for some reason, orchestrated it so that we're not just about retaining people, we're about sending people. And if they're going to come in for a season all messed up, then we got to help them get secured in the relationship with Christ and get them all worked around and get them first aid and band-aids and CPR and whatever else we got to do and help them position themselves so that when they walk out of here, they're better off than when they came in. And then I told you last week that, that we've got to become those things because people are running for their lives. There are people all around us that are literally running for their lives. They're about to, to die in every aspect of that word, some physically, some emotionally, some spiritually, relationally, financially, they are on their last legs and they're looking for somewhere to run to. And so they are running for their lives and God has called us to reach out to those folks. I told you that we must become those things because they need a safe place. They need a place that they can run and find safety. I told you last week that they, we've got to become those, this place because they need our Savior. They don't need our brand. They don't need our cool T-shirts. They don't need our, our goosebump worship. What they, I hope they enjoy it, and I hope it opens the door. But the reality is, is if all they did was come in and hear a good song, and they don't come and find Jesus, then we've missed the mark. They need our Savior. They don't need your opinion. They don't need your judgment. They don't need your criticism. They don't need your finger in their face. They don't need you to get up and move away from them. They need somebody that will sit next to them and say, I've got the answer to your problems. I've just been reluctant to tell you, but I know the answer to your problems. I've got the solution to every one of your needs. His name is Jesus. That's who you need more than anybody else in your life. They need our Savior. 
and I'm concerned that we've surrendered too much. We keep giving folks away. We give up on the poor. We give up on the weak. We give up on the confused. We give up on the violent. We give up on the hungry. We give up on, we've given up on everybody. We've surrendered them, and this passage tells us that we are not to surrender them. We're to fight for them. Is there anybody in the room that's willing to fight for somebody that's about to die and go to hell? You say, I refuse to give up. I know I've been praying for them for 16 years, but I refuse to give up now we got to hold on. So I want us to go back as we wrap this series up. I've talked to you about uh, what we must become and why we must become. And now this morning I want to talk to you about who we must become. I want us to understand that we have a, uh, a um, for lack of a better way to say it, there's this identity that we must secure for us if we are going to be who God has called us to be. Numbers chapter 35 verse 10 to speak to the Israelites and say to them, when you cross the Jordan into Canaan, select some towns to be your cities of refuge to which a person who has killed someone accidentally may flee. They will, they will be places of refuge from the avenger so that anyone accused of murder may not die before they stand trial before the assembly. Joshua chapter 20, verses 1 through 9. We see it literally come to pass. Then the Lord said to Joshua, Tell the Israelites to designate the cities of refuge as I instructed you through Moses. So that anyone who kills a person accidentally and unintentionally may flee there and find protection from the avenger of blood. When they flee to one of these cities, they are to stand in the entrance of the city gate and state their case before the elders of that city. Then the elders are to admit the fugitive into their city and provide a place to live among them. If the avenger of blood comes in pursuit, the elders must not surrender the fugitive because the fugitive killed their neighbor unintentionally and without malice of forethought. They are to stay in that city until they have stood trial before the assembly and until the death of the high priest who is serving at that time. Then they may go back to their own home in the town from which they fled. Now listen to what they did because this is important to where we're going today. So they set apart Kadesh in Galilee in the hill country of the Naphtali, Shechem in the hill country of Ephraim, and Kirith Arba, or that is Hebron, in the hill country of Judah. East of the Jordan, on the other side from Jericho, they designated Bezer in the wilderness on the plateau in the tribe of Reuben, Ramoth in Gilead in the tribe of Gad, and Golan in Bashan in the tribe of Manasseh. Any of the Israelites or any foreigner residing among them who killed someone accidentally could flee to these designated cities and not be killed by the avenger of blood prior to standing trial before the assembly. Background. I've already told you the law of the land was eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. You kill me, one of my family members is going to hunt you down and kill you. If you steal from me, I have an obligation to steal it back. There's this eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth mentality. God saw the flaw in that plan and said there's got to be a way of escape for those that didn't mean to do what they did. And so he orchestrated select three cities on one side of the Jordan and three cities on the other side of the Jordan and designate them as cities of refuge. I told you what happened. They would clear the path every year to make sure that there were no obstacles keeping people from getting there. They would clearly put signposts up that said cities of refuge on them so that you could find them from any location in the nation. In one day's journey, you could get in your chariot, get on your horse, get your Nikes on, and make a mad dash for that city if you need to and reach it in one day's journey. You stood in front of the gate when you got there. You stated your case. The elders heard your case, and they made room for you in the city, and you moved in, and you were given a stay of execution, basically. 
a get-out-of-jail-free card, if you will, until the debt had been paid. That is the story we're in. So what takes place is this. There are attributes that if we are truly going to be a place where people can run, if we are going to be the kind of people that folks come into contact with us and they find Jesus in us, then there are some attributes that we must have. And interestingly enough, the names of these set-aside cities give us a glimpse into who we must become. When people begin to talk about passion corporately, and people are talking, by the way, there's always somebody talking about us. There's, you know how that works. When they talk about us as a body of believers and when they talk about you individually, they should be able to pick out these particular attributes if we want to be a city of refuge for people. Let's look at the six cities and see if we can't learn something quickly. The first one that they selected was Kadesh. The word Kadesh means righteousness. <laughs> okay. It was basically a refuge for the unclean. I will say it again. I said it the first week, and I'm going to keep pounding it until you get it. It does not do us any good if people that are unrighteous run to us looking for something different, and they run into a group of people that are no more righteous than they are. If people from the community, our neighborhoods, our sphere of influence run to us, those of us that claim the name of Jesus and claim to be Christians and claim to be righteous, if they run into us and really get to know us and find out that we are just as jacked up as they are, then we have messed up and we are not a city of refuge. If you want to be the city of refuge that God has called us to be, one of the attributes that we have to have is we have to be a people of righteousness a people of holiness. I didn't say we had to be perfect. I just said that we have to be people on pursuit of righteousness, better off, cleaner than we used to be. So therefore, when people run in with addictions, they don't run into a group of people that are also struggling with addictions. They run into a group of people who have been addicted, who have found a way out, and now we can point them the right direction. When people run into this house that are addicted to pornography, they don't run into a group of people who are still secretly looking at things on their computer. They find people that have submitted their computers to filters and to, and to uh, uh, accountability partners so that they aren't struggling with the same. They find people on a path to righteousness. See, we have to show people the way out. Can I tell you how to do that very specifically? We live the way out. <laughs> the only way that you can show somebody how to find righteousness is to actually live righteous so they can follow you into righteousness because here's the truth and I believe this with all my heart if you don't live it you don't believe it and some of you claim that you believe something but your life doesn't match up and so there's no match there and it becomes a contradiction and what I am saying to you is that we have got to live our life at such a righteous level that we stand in stark contrast to the unrighteousness around us and they can see Jesus in us clearly it's not hidden, we don't need a fish on our bumper, we don't need a Christian t-shirt there is so much Jesus coming out of us and so much righteousness we don't need a big bun on our head to say we're righteous we don't need floor length skirts to 
doesn't say we're righteous. There is so much righteousness oozing out of us that people say there's something different about them. They don't live like I live, and they are showing me how to get out. That's where we got to get to. See, I am convinced of this. I, I used to think that people were afraid to come to church and get changed. I don't believe that anymore. I think that what's scaring people about coming to church is that they can come to church and not be changed. Because what they find is a group of people that are no more righteous than they are doing the same things they are. And so it becomes a contradiction and they can't deal with the contradiction. So why bother getting up early on a Sunday morning and giving up my weekend when I could be at the lake? I am calling you to be Kadesh, righteousness, where you live at a holy level. The second city was called Shechem. Shechem means shoulder. It's one of the definitions of the, the word Shechem. It means shoulder. The shoulder is a place of comfort. If, if you've never been distraught, you don't understand what I'm talking about. But if there have ever been this moment where your life was in turmoil and you didn't know what you wanted, what you were going to do, and, and somebody came up next to you and gave you their shoulder. Ever been there where you cried on somebody's shoulder, where you wept on somebody's shoulder, where somebody got their shoulder up under you when you didn't know if you could take another step and you walked because they carried you and they supported you? I am saying to you this morning, if we are going to be the people that God has called us to be, we got to become some shoulder kind of people that can shoulder their burden where we don't look down on their burden, we don't make fun of their burden, we don't raise our noses at their burden. What we do is we see the pain, we see the heartache, we see the brokenness, and we become the kind of people that get up under them and say, if you, can, if you can't stand on your own, just lean on me, I'll get you through the hard time. Shoulder people, people of support, will shoulder your pain, will shoulder your, your hurt. You can depend on us. I need some folks that will quit being so self-centered that all you think about is your problem and your need and your circumstance and your heartache where you understand that God is bringing people into your path, into your life that are worse off than you ever thought about being. And he sent them for you to you for one purpose and one purpose only, and that is to shoulder them into the kingdom. They're looking for you to you for support, and they can't find any. So they run to other stuff. I need you to become shoulder kind of people. There are going to be people that come in this house. There are going to be people that come into your life that are completely and utterly broken, and one little bitty prayer isn't going to cut it. You're going to have to get up under them for the long haul and walk them one step at a time into freedom and victory. Shoulder. The third city was called Hebron, which means fellowship. See, some of y'all didn't know that fellowship could be anointed. See, we, we got this concept. The only thing that can really be anointed is preaching and worship and prayer and stuff like that. But I came to tell you that there is a such thing as anointed fellowship. And I want you to grasp this and understand this, that you have got to take the fellowship that you enjoy so much and allow it to become anointed, where it is a safe place for people to come and hang out, where you understand that we welcome and we accept lonely folks into our cliques and our clubs and our circles and we allow them to penetrate the, the barriers that we put up and we open up our fellowship to those kind of people because we understand that that fellowship can be so anointed that it can set them free. See, I, I just need you to understand that 
we got to start teaching people that godly fellowship is the best kind of fellowship. Because there ain't no hangovers after that kind of fellowship. After our parties, you're not hugging the porcelain God, right? You can come hang out with me, and you don't need any alcohol to dull your senses. You don't need no drugs. We're going to have so much good, clean, God-clean, enjoyable fun that you will think, I never had it this good when I was doing all that other stuff. Anointed, godly fellowship. That means that we've got to open up to new folks. That means that there should never be an instance where somebody walks onto this campus whether they're intending to come to church or not. They're just walking from the stairs past us to get to the pawn shop or past us to get to the convenience store, whatever. We see them and we go out of our way to include them in our fellowship. We got to touch them. We got to talk to them. We got to greet them. We got to smile at them. We can't We can't be suspicious. Man, I see some of us, we're so suspicious, man. When somebody walks onto this campus we don't know, we get real suspicious and think, what are they What are they doing? Are they casing us? Are they are getting ready to steal from us? They're going to break into my car? What are they doing? Why, why are they, man, th- those aren't our kind of people. I don't know if I like them or not. God is sending them our way so that with one simple hello, with one simple smile, with one simple touch that we open up fellowship to them and they become attracted to us. Did did you know that one of the things, one of the attributes that should be attracting to people, attractive to people in our community is our fun? Well, I think they ought to be attracted to our worship. Well, I hope they are. I think they ought to be attracted for the preaching. I hope they are. But you know that for most folks, what they're really looking for is some folks they can have fun with. I don't ever want us to get to where we're so staunch and starchy and stuck up and that we can't have some fun. In fact, I'll just say it like this. About a month and a half ago, we got together, the leadership team got together with uh, some key couples from Bethany where we were getting ready to start this campus. And we had a meeting to, to talk about the, starting a church over there. And we spent two hours goofing off. Well, we did some business too. But we were laughing and carrying on. And, have, and one of the guys came back to me later and said, you know what? We know we want to be a part of this because you guys have fun together. We haven't got to do that. Our fun, our fellowship should attract people into a relationship where we get to this place where we enjoy one another, where we go out to eat together like in June so that we can just go in there. We're not going to sing when we get in there. We're not going to dance when we get in there. We're not going to get the Pentecostal shakes when we get in I'm going to give me some, some spaghetti and some breadsticks and some hamburgers and, uh, and whatever else we're eating that month, and we're going to laugh and we're going to have fun, and it's going to attract people to us. Uh, it's biblical. Can can I prove it to you? Yeah. Listen to listen to this. James chapter three says, "Real wisdom." This is verse seventeen. Real wisdom, God's wisdom, begins with a holy life and is characterized by getting along with others. It's gentle and reasonable, overflowing with mercy and blessings. Not hot one day and cold the next. Not two faced. You. Listen to this. You can, not you might be able to, not you should, but you can, you can develop a healthy, robust community 
that lives right with God and enjoys its results only if you do the hard work of getting along with each other, treating each other with dignity and honor. They understood that we can get together and have this community where we laugh and goof off and have a good time and love Jesus with all of our heart and become a safe place so that they can run into open fellowship. And I'm telling you, that's what we've got to become. There should never be anybody that walks into this house lonely and walks out of here lonely. There should never be anybody that walks into this house a stranger and walks out of here a stranger. Fellowship. The fourth city, Bezer, which means fortress, fortress, which speaks again to the safe place, a place where people find strength. We should be a people who, when we are together, are stronger than when we are separate. Oh, y'all didn't hear me. If y'all, well, maybe I shouldn't ask. I was going to ask you if you've ever been to a church that you felt weaker when you got together than you were when you were by yourself. I ain't going to ask that. Don't even amen me right there. You felt torn down and belittled and looked down on and ridiculed. I, I, I just need you to understand that what God is calling us to do, to do and become and who we are to be is that when we are together, we are stronger than we've ever been in our lives. We are to be strength agents. You should be uh, enabling and empowering the person sitting next to you right now to feel stronger than they've ever felt before. When they walk out of here, they ought to be able to get in their car and say, I am stronger than I was when I got there because I sat next to fill in the blank. God help us to become people that are so strong individually and corporately that when other people come around us, they're strengthened too. Strong fortress. What does that mean? That means we provide safety. Safety for what? Safety for people to fail. Safety for people to fail. I want you to know there are not very many places you can go where it's safe to fail. Most of the bodies I've ever been a part of, if you fail, you're out. Come on now, don't shout me down while I'm preaching good. Most organizations that you're a part of, if you fail, you're out. I am calling you to be a group of people that are so marked by grace that we become this fortress where it is safe to walk in here and fail. We won't like your failure. We won't accept your failure and the fact that we won't let you stay there. We will strengthen you and help you move beyond your failure so you won't fail again. Place that's safe for problems. I wish I could tell you that God had called us to call the perfect people. We would be kind of small. Because I haven't met any. He's called us to reach out to people that have problems. We've got to strengthen those kind of people. So my question for you this morning is how strong do you make people feel? Do they walk away from you wondering whether you're talking about them or not? Laughing at them. Or do they understand that you're actually making them stronger? The fifth one is Ramoth, which means height. We should be people who pull other people up. We should be people who are elevating those around us. They should be better off in every aspect of their life 
from being in communion and relationship with us. There's this old term. I couldn't remember it, so I called my dad. That's no indication that he's older than me, but, uh, but you can take it any way you want. He remembered immediately. I, I had forgotten it. I knew it was there. I just couldn't put my fingers on it. It's called gospel lift. It's this phenomenon that takes place that when people get the Jesus that you've got, it should elevate every aspect of their life. They should become better relationally. They should become more stable emotionally. They should even do better financially. We get nervous there. But I just read somewhere that my dad owns all the cattle on a thousand hill, so it ought to impact me financially. I just read somewhere that when we learn to sow, we reap. And so as we commune with these folks, there's this gospel lift that takes place and they get stronger and go to greater heights in their relationships and their finances and their emotions and their spiritual life than they ever did before they got into contact with us. I am calling you to be a congregation that learns to lift people up. That's why we feed people. We're trying to lift them up. That's why we counsel people. We're trying to lift them up. That's why we love on people. We're trying to lift them up. That's why we hide Easter egg for kids. We're trying to lift them up. We are about bringing height to people where they live a, a greater, more enjoyable life. I don't know. The Bible just said somewhere that when we get to know Jesus, we're supposed to have life and life more abundantly. Wave upon, wave upon blessing. I wasn't supposed to get saved and then get sour. I was supposed to lift people around me. And so we've got to become this group of people that feeds people, that loves people, that blesses people, that communes with people, that fellowship with people so that when it's, the day is done, they look and say, I'm better off than I was. That means we don't let them live in empty apartments. Y'all don't know this, but we just furnished two separate apartments for two of our folks. I can say, talk about it because they're not here in the first service. There'll be second service. I won't say this. They had nothing. No, y'all don't get it. They had nothing. They were sleeping on the floor. No chairs, no couches, nothing. I walked in, and there are boxes lining the living room. That's all they've got. And we got a 26-foot trailer and filled it full, couches and futons and blankets and pots and pans and forks and knives, and went over there and furnished two complete apartments that's what I'm talking about that's how you elevate somebody you know what we, we only intended to, to uh, furnish one and lo and behold this is because this is what I'm talking about when one person is elevated they go mm, I can elevate somebody else and the, this individual took some of what we'd taken them because we'd taken so much they didn't have room for it and they put it in somebody else's apartment that didn't have anything that's what I'm talking about we've been blessed so that we can be a blessing bringing people to new heights, and then last, they separated Golan, which means joy. There may be nothing worse than Christians who have no joy. In fact, I would say to you that a downcast Christian is an oxymoron. That's two words that should never be placed together. We should be people who, who are marked by a visible joy. When people run into us, they should run into the happiest, most joyful people on the entire planet. Then why don't waitresses want to wait on us? Not Yeah, we're cheap and we're mean. I've heard this, that been said that some of the meanest 
grumpiest people on the planet are Christians. I don't understand that. I'm calling you not to be like that. We all have bad days. We all have bad moods. Stay home on those days. Take your Passion Church license plate off your car and hang up your T-shirt. Don't go cuss the waitress out and then hand her a track. Get a passion, big passion sticker on the back of your car. It does amazing things to your attitude when you're on the road. It, it'll change your whole personality as you're driving. I'm living testimony. Go through the drive through mad. Put a big old passion sticker on the back of your car and see if it doesn't correct that attitude. Some way get a handle on the fact that you are to be marked, visibly marked by joy. When people walk in here that are depressed and lonely and brokenhearted, they shouldn't walk in here and go, well, they're meaner and grumpier and more hateful than I was when I got here. They ought to walk in and go, man, these folks have got more joy than I've ever experienced. See, I think maybe what we've done is we have failed to understand that when we meet Christ, we are to be infused with joy unspeakable and full of glory. And not only do we struggle to incorporate that into our worship, we struggle to incorporate that into our lives. I'm just that way. I'm just kind of grumpy. No, you're not. You're sinning. Get your joy on. Some of you need to go check your joy tank. If Jesus saved you from dying and going to hell, you should be the smilingest, happiest, great day person that ever lived. It means that you should be able to go through trials and still understand that that doesn't impact my joy because my joy is not determined by my circumstance. My joy is determined by my Savior, and He's given me joy unspeakable. Acts chapter 2, I want you to listen to very carefully this because it shows us that joy should set us apart. Acts chapter 2, verse 46, listen very carefully. They followed a daily discipline of worship in the temple, followed by meals at home. There's that fellowship. Every meal was a celebration. It was exuberant, and it was joyful. As they praised God, it was joyful. Now listen to what happens. People in general liked what they saw. So every day their number grew as God added those who were saved. So they're so marked by joy that people liked what they saw. When's the last time you heard that about a church? I need you to become people who are so indelibly marked by joy that you become like a Flame to a moth. People are attracted. They find out, man, why are you so happy? Why do you have so much joy? How can you endure the hardship you're going through and not be freaked out and on Xanax and on Prozac and on, on, on whatever else you can get on? How in the world can you? Because I found joy. That's how come. And they go, I want that. I want that. And they'll follow you here. Psalm chapter 19, verse 7 I'm almost done. Last verse of Scripture says this. The revelation of God is whole and pulls our lives together. The signposts of God are clear and point out the right road. The life maps of God are right. Here's what they do. They show us the way to joy. Let me just ask you this question this morning. Do you have any joy? What if you go and leave this service and your car won't start? Do you have any joy? What if you go to the restaurant this afternoon, hand them your card, and it won't go through? 
do you have any joy? What if you go home this afternoon and your righteous little son or daughter suddenly becomes possessed of something and acts crazy and you want to beat them to death? Will you have any joy? <laughs> yeah, see, that's when it really gets real. What if you go to work tomorrow? Well, some of you are off. What if you go to work on Tuesday and your boss is an idiot? What if you go to work on Tuesday and they tell you not to come back? Do you have any joy that would be so infectious and attractive that people watch how you react? See, I know how some of us react. We go on Tuesday and the boss looks at us and says, you're fired. We don't go, thank you. That must mean that God has another door open for me. What we want to do is we want to get our last two cents in and say, I don't have anything to lose anyway. I will tell you what I think about you. And in that moment, we become unattractive, not just to the boss, but to everybody else that has heard us talk about passion and heard us talk about Jesus and heard us talk about and seen our T-shirts and they go, no, they don't have nothing that I don't have. Joy. We must become people with these attributes, these six attributes. We must become people that are righteous. We must become people that have a shoulder that people can lean on. We must become people that that are strong. We must become people that understand the anointing of fellowship. We must become people that are marked by joy. We must become people who are marked by bringing people to new heights. That's who we must become. Otherwise, they run to us, and then they run away from us. So here's my question, and then we're done. Which of these cities describes you? Some of you are really strong in joy, but you're not very strong in strength. Some of you are very strong in righteousness, but you've got no joy. It's just diligence. I just got to be holy. Which city describes you, and which city are you weak in? And what I would say to you this morning is we've got to have them all. There's got to be a, a holy mix of all this in our lives. Do you find, have you ever met anybody that's got all six of those attributes? I have. I wanted to be with them. I wanted to go where they went. I wanted to do what they were doing because they were attractive. Father, I pray this morning that you would make us attractive. I pray for my folks today. I pray that you would make us righteous. We understand, God, that we're not perfect. That's not what I'm saying. I, I pray that you'd help us to learn to live rightly, that we, we would recognize we're on this path, this journey, where we're trying to live better. I pray that you would help this group of people here to be righteous, that our lives would be so stark in contrast that people would know there's a difference. I pray that you'd help us to learn to shoulder those that can't walk on their own. Many times, Father, we repent because what we do is when we see somebody needy, we try to go the other way because we don't want our lives to be intruded upon and interrupted. I pray that we would become shoulder people. God, I pray that we would understand fellowship. I pray that we wouldn't be so self-consumed and self-centered that we don't make space in our lives for anybody else. I pray that we would open our lives up to those around us. God, I pray that we would learn how to raise people up we would elevate those we come into contact with. I pray that we would learn to be strong. And 
pray that we would have joy unspeakable and full of glory, not just at church. I pray that that joy would invade every area of our lives so that people can run to us and find safety. Now, Father, what I pray that you do this morning is I pray that you would shine your light on each of us individually and we would wrestle with which city we're the weakest in and we would begin to make an adjustment so that people will be attracted to us and run to us for safety. I pray that you do this in Jesus' name. Amen. Welcome to Passion. For more information about Passion, please visit us online at www.passionchurch.tv. Now let's join the service already in progress.